On this episode of the MedTech Business Academy podcast, building on the conversation from last week's special guest, Crystal Wagner, we welcome to the MBA podcast today, CNO, Dr. Lewis Perkins. Lewis and the team delve into the challenges he's facing and the innovative solutions he's coming up with, including virtual support teams for new nurses and adopting technology solutions that reduce labor time. Let's listen in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the MedTech Business Academy podcast. We're very excited because actually this is a milestone podcast. It is our 30th, our 30th podcast, 30 instances of information coming straight at you. Um, Some of it good, you know, some of it coming from Scott. Um, so, you know, <laughs> that's the most, stuff my mom likes the most. So that's what I'm talking about. Most of it's good. Uh, joined today by, uh, my esteemed med tech experts, Barbara Strain, Scott Alexander, and Thomas Hickey. I'm Skender Darity. Uh, we have a very special guest, uh, to introduce everybody to, uh, it's Dr. Lewis Perkins, who I'm going to introduce more formally in a second, but being that this is our 30th podcast, we really wanted to hone in even further and build off of the epi- our last episode where we had a renowned uh, nurse leader talk to us about the challenges and, and, and continuous um, frustrations that she's having with the dynamics that are occurring in the market today, particularly from uh, employee satisfaction, employee engagement, uh, and what she's seeing. Well, we thought it would be an incredible opportunity to continue to build off of that, progress off of that, and bring in a nurse executive from a CNO level who things, sees things from a from a universal perspective. So this will be a progression from that perspective. So let me give the introduction uh, to Dr. Lewis Perkins. Lewis is the CNO for a 400-bed hospital in the Midwest and has been vice president in charge of patient care services for an average of 200 patients per day since 2021. A strategic and operational clinical executive with ambulatory, hospital, and system-level experience, Lewis values inclusivity, initiates and sustains change to improve quality, safety, and service that drives outcomes, ROI, and magnifies stewardship. With that, Lewis, thank you very much for agreeing to be on our podcast today. We very much appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Same here. We'll we'll try not to take it too hard on you here. Okay. (laughs) So, Lewis, the first question, and I think this is what's, what's really on everybody's mind, is, okay, we we understand there was a BC period. There was... Uh, before COVID. Okay. And then we entered into basically, let's call it a year, year and a half of of COVID and pandemic. Well, now, you know, let's talk about post-pandemic. And from a universal perspective, tell us how has your world changed, particularly in the last 12 to 18 months? And what are some of the things that you're most focused on? What are the things that keep you awake at night, if you would? Well, the, the, the driver under all of it is is cost right now, um, and not really cost. It's trying to catch up for all the loss. Um, uh, gosh, you, just looking at the Becker's headlines every day, there's people being laid off, and there's executives going. You know, it, everything's in flux right now. So really, it's cost. And when it comes to cost, and looking at this from the CNO perspective, everything starts to go toward labor because that's the biggest one we can control. And then supplies, obviously, you know. Um, but but labor is the big one that we get the biggest push on. So we start looking for alternative models of care and, and what can we do to 
to look at uh, delivery, carry delivery differently. That's the biggest push right now. And you know the the impact that COVID had on the the healthcare team themselves. You know, with the turnover of nurses and all the nurses that left. Um, and then there's you know more going to leave just because of aging. So we're not we're not done yet with trying to figure out how to do the staffing model and and how to deliver care. Yeah, I think the Becker's model. I think the Becker's headline this morning said something like the expectation of nine hundred thousand. Uh, nurses may potentially leave and experienced nurses, mind you, yep. may create an exodus over the next two to three years, which is just an astounding, when you consider there are roughly 3.5 million, 3.2 to 3.5 million nurses, that's mm -hmm. almost a third um, yeah. potential to leave. Yeah. It's the aging workforce. Scott had his mouth open first, so go ahead. I did, and I'm not eating right now either, which is kind of- I funny. know. Uh, yeah, Lewis, when you think about alternative models, uh, share with the audience a little bit about what are the models that you're looking at? What are the, how do you evaluate those? That sort of thing. Yeah. And back in um, 2010, um, I was working for the Kentucky, or actually I was working for another health system, but I was president for the board of nursing for Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at the workforce in Kentucky and looking at the shortages and, and looking at regulations and, and were regulations preventing nurses from getting to the bedside or getting into academia? You know, were we, were we being too stringent on schools, those type of things? As we were looking at it, what I start to, started to see that kind of related to the work I was in already as the chief nurse for another organization was that a lot of the folks were nearing retirement in our system. I started looking at the age bands in our system and I was like, oh my gosh, I've got a good pipeline, but I don't have a pipeline that's going to support the number of people leaving. So we started looking at what we started brainstorming within the whole system, as I raised this up to the chief nurse exec, um, she pulled the team together. We started brainstorming. What could we do with the number of nurses we've got if we couldn't get any more? What would it start to look like? And we started looking at top of licensure is what we titled it and having folks work at the top of their license. And what does that really mean? Well, when we started coined the term top of licensure, a lot of people thought we were talking about just nursing, but it was also physicians. Right. If physicians working at the top of his license, there are some things that are left over that nurse practitioners could do and that other folks could do, RNs could do. Right. And we needed that doctor practicing at the top of their license. So as you started there and came down from there, um, what we started to see was that the LPNs have been pushed out of healthcare. Um, if you look at the acute care environment, they were pushed into um, uh, long term care and, and other disciplines. Um, so we started looking at what does it look like to bring them back? And then what does it look like to put paramedics back in place or and put them in doing things that they hadn't done before um, in the acute care setting? And then how do we elevate the patient care technician? So what that turned into was a model of care where I had an LPN, a, a PCA or a tech or uh, an assistant and an RN as a team. And they would take care of up to 12 patients in a med surge area and up to about five in a, a progressive care unit area. There was a lot of pushback. The nurses didn't like that. Um, you know, what are you doing? We're going to lose, uh, it's, it's not safe. And, you know, got all those types of things. But as we started to do it and started to find people that would look at it and understand what we were trying to do, they began to believe that it could make a difference. Mm -hmm. And what we started to see for outcomes, our patient experience scores started to go up because there were more people taking care of less patients. Um, even though there was a larger group of patients that were taken care of, and our quality started to go up, our falls were coming down. So flash forward, pandemic throws monkey wrench into some of that, but 
it also gives us the virtual element. And there was a physician that I was working with at the time who uh, developed a platform on Zoom um, that allowed us to do a virtual nursing model. Um, and in this virtual nursing model, what we did, we took kept the teams in place and added a, an experienced nurse that would um, help supervise that team as they mm -hmm. took care of the patients. They would look at all the other patients um, and do the things that were top of licensure for an RN, but they didn't have to have boots on the ground in the room to do it. They could do it remotely. Mm -hmm. um, and that really had, was a game changer. Um, as we started getting that into place, the nurses um, that were doing the remote work loved it because they could do it from home. Um, and the nurses that were receiving the remote nur nurses help really loved it, especially the new graduates, because they could be mentored from afar um, and call somebody up, you know, just phone a friend, if you will, and they could buzz into the room um, and, and be watched by that virtual nurse and, and given pointers and tips in, in what they were doing. So that's kind of the changes that we're looking at. The, the key in that, which really has been hard to get some of the finance folks to, to buy into, is going from a productivity model to a cost per unit of service. And the, the, we wanna, the, the finance folks wanna hang on to that 98% to 105%, that, that, just, that percentage is just locked in. Yeah. But what I'm finding though, is I can take that team and I can reduce your cost by $150 per patient, which is a whole lot more than looking at you know, uh, the productivity. So, it's it's been a it's been a struggle to get some of the folks to see it. They're starting to see it, but it, it's a it's a huge struggle. So what is that ninety eight to one hundred five percent? Can you expound upon that just for the? Uh, yeah. So if you're if you're supposed to be running, um, I'll just use round numbers: eight hours eight hours per patient day, eight man hours per patient day, um, and you're you're running at ten. The difference is that percentage, and you and what has been the sweet spot for some organizations. It depends on what organization you're with. Some of them want you right at 90, right at 100%. Others will say, well, between 95 and 105, you're good. And some of them say, no, you got to run 105 all the time. So they give you, the, they budget you where you want to be, but then they say, no, you got to ratchet it down. So my my whole uh, point though, is, is that cost per unit of service is a much better model because then I don't have to worry about the number of people I've got taking care of somebody. I just got to make sure I got enough teams and that we're delivering the right care at the right time. Right. So, Lewis, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, Lewis, I've got a question. You know, in from the virtual model, uh, did that help on the retention, especially for the more seasoned clinicians? Right, that maybe they're thinking about retiring because, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I just can't be on my feet this much can't do, you know, the, the physical demands of a job like being a, mm -hmm. uh, an, an RN. Uh, did you find it had an impact on saying, well, you know what, maybe I can hang around a couple more years if I can do this? Yeah, I don't know if it was, um, if it, it, it would say that um, we put the model out there and it attracted those people, we more like targeted them. Mm -hmm. So, but yet, to answer your question, yes, it's, it's, it's impactful and helpful um, in, in keeping those people in place. But we actually targeted them. So what we did, we we profiled what would what would a virtual nurse need, um, and actually it was the virtual nurses that did this. We we put some uh, nurses in place that it um, it almost like the model blew up. It wasn't going to work, and it was because the nurse that the nurses we were putting in there didn't have the right kind of experience or the right kind of skill sets. So the virtual nurses kind of said, "Here's what we want when you send us somebody. Here's what we're looking for," and it turned out to be 
uh, uh, the ability to manage multiple priorities at the same time. So multitasking on a higher level. Um, and it had to be somebody that had enough experience so that when something happened, they didn't panic. They knew exactly what needed to be done and they would walk somebody through it. And then some of the other criteria we, we kind of developed after that was that we wanted someone that had been in charge quite a bit and anybody that was nearing retirement and they had mobility problems, those type of things, but had a really good demeanor, um, very customer oriented, because the, one of the jobs of this virtual nurse is not to say no. Um, if they get asked to do something, whether that nurse team is in their pod of people to take care of, they're going to say yes, and they're going to take care of them. So what we started seeing was that other floors from the hospital would be calling the virtual nurse. The virtual nurse didn't know what floor, had no idea what was going on that floor, but they would look the patient up and help them out, yeah. um, which helped us to sell it. And then we looked for nurse managers. The other thing, we started marketing to people that had may not had virtual nursing in their hospital. We started marketing to those managers saying, hey, you might want to become a virtual nurse or have you ever managed in a nurse, uh, a virtual nurse environment? The management's different. It's, you, you retain people easier um, and it's a it's a different ball game. And we started having some, some success with that as well. So the question I kind of want to focus on now, getting back to our med tech folks out there listening that have sure. devices and things. With all of the issues with retaining and um, having a focus on the patients, is there a time uh, and availability for to look at new products, to look at new things that are going to bring value, or is that sort of shunted off to a third or fourth level of things? when there is such a shortage coming up? Is that a challenge? It, 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 the challenge is if, if the product coming, if, if there's a med tech co company coming in and there's a cost to the product, that's gonna be the challenge because we've got the staffing costs that we're trying to drive down. And then we're gonna have to go to the chief financial officer and say, hey, well, if I spend more money, I'm gonna get this. And then the question comes back to me every time, what, what are you gonna cut? You know, mm -hmm. what, what part of the workforce is going to go away to get this to happen? So um, that's the challenge is whatever product comes to us has to be something that's that's over time not going to add more cost to us. Mm -hmm. um, so if it's a licensing fee, um, it, we can kind of compare that to the IT world and, and um, all the software and stuff. There, that's kind of a norm. But mm -hmm. if it's a continual charge for numbers of patients or you know those other models that are out there where they they sell you the the platform but then you've got to use their staff Th those those type of things just increase our costs mm -hmm. um, whereas if we could do it internally um and we had a, a free uh like the the program that i've got now it was developed internally i'm not paying anything any license fees or anything for any of that and it's our own staff mm -hmm. um so if there were a way to, to work out a, a process that would help us to reduce cost and pay for it in that way, um, I think that would be the, the best way to get your foot in the door. So one more little hitch in your model, if say someone has a product that 
you didn't need someone at an advanced nurse level to use the product, that it was more intuitive that would allow some of your PCAs, PCTs and things to do certain bedside care and you didn't need a higher level nurse to do it. Would that prove some sort of value to your organization and, and those teams? That would get that would catch my interest. I'd start looking at what, what are you talking about and what's that mean? Um, and how does it start to apply? Yeah, that would get my attention. Great. How, how actively is it? I guess when we think about this type of an approach to an alternative staffing model, how much of it is coming from you as a chief nursing officer versus like a CFO or a chief operating officer who says, hey, we got to get our budget in line. Mm -hmm. And so now you got to figure it out. I'm just kind of curious who the, who the driver is on this. Well, it, so if, if I go back to when I, how I got this model in place, the current model in place, the CEO of the organization um, actually said, hey, we've got to do something about this cost, our labor costs. You all just need to figure it out. So it was the, the directive, if you will, mm -hmm. and then figure it out. And we figured it out. Yeah. Um, and if you talk to your peers, uh, I guess, how representative is your experience it's, relative to your peers? It's pretty much the same. And it sounds bad, but it's not because, you know, the nurses uh, over time in, in all of healthcare, we've always advocated that tell us what you need. Don't come tell us how to run nursing. Tell us what you need and let us figure it out. So that's how it is. You go figure it out. You, you, you know, so it, I, I don't want to paint the picture in the wrong way. It, we were told, yeah, you need to figure this nursing model out because this isn't working for us and there's so much of this going on. So we went and figured it out. And that's kind of the way it has been. I I, I feel like the TV show MacGyver that all of us are, are familiar with, I think MacGyver had to be a nurse because <laughs> as a whole, nurses are the most industrious, fixing it kind of people. So yeah, I <laughs> what you just described fits perfectly with all of the nurses that, that I know in my family or in my life. So. Yeah, yeah, and the doctors help us too. When we start, if we go going down the wrong path, they'll, they'll jerk us back in line. <laughs> right. Help. You, you said help. Just confirming. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, Lewis, I, I, I'm kind of curious because I think this is very uh, innovative in what you've started and and where it's headed. I'm wondering if you've had any aha moments, right? Where, you know, as you started down this path, there was like, all, all of a sudden there was this like moment of, wow, we can really take this model and apply it here. Or what types of positives came out of that that perhaps you didn't expect? Yeah, um, the, that one of the aha moment was the nurse leader thing um, and figuring out, hey, I can get different nurse leaders. If, if they know that we've got this model, this this will make their work-life balance a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it, that was one. The other was um, some of the, uh, well, and we talked about that, how the aging nurses and getting them engaged in it, that was, that was an, an aha for us. The other aha was the group new graduates and, and figuring out, you know, you've got that virtual nurse that's taking care of the, the nursing teams. Why wouldn't you have a virtual nurse educator that takes care of multiple new graduates, right? So you'd have to, um, I would think you'd need a much larger hospital than the one that I've been associated with to, to need something like that. But in a larger organization, those, those clinicians that um, really don't like working the night shifts, those type of things to, to kind of onboard some of those new graduates, 
could be done remotely and you would be able to really help them tremendously because you can have conversations virtually. Um, and I think the, the bedside nurse or the new graduate nurse is gonna be more open and free in those conversations because it's almost like chatting or if you will, um, online. So those are some of the ahas we have. Yeah, I would think just from a new graduate and, you know, a preceptor standpoint, you know, almost kind of, you know, the, you know, the, the, the walk along only this is a virtual along, right? You just sit and mm -hmm. you know, listen in for a couple of days. And I would think that would be a wealth of information in terms of protocols, applications, uh, just all, all sorts of, you know, clinical benefits for just having an individual sit and, and watch and listen for a little bit. Yeah. And give them feedback, you know, real time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As they can work those processes out. Yeah. Lewis, from from a med tech standpoint, being that you're CNO, can you can you tell us what types of medical technology bubbles up its way towards you to be included in the decision making front? Because obviously, so much is still relegated and and relevant to each department. Mm -hmm. What types of technologies come to you when it comes to things that you would be able to standardize across the organization? You know, like if, if there's equipment in cath lab, that's pretty much going to go through the cath lab department. And, you know, I, I don't get direct, I don't get, they don't drag me into that. But if it's um, the automatic blood pressure cuffs, mm -hmm. um, your telemetry uh, beds that, that connect. And so if, if you've got the Hill-ROM system and those type of things, they'll, they'll pop that, that comes my way. So it's anything that touches the patient that could be systemized. Um, the diabetes care um, and how that market's changing now. and, and we're trying to get away from finger sticks. Why do you have to stick somebody all the time when you don't have to do that at home? So why do we do it in the hospital? Um, so it's, it's things like that, that touch the patient that you could possibly standardize across departments. So what, are the, so what is it that you look for in those value propositions today that you may not or now are looking at that weren't yeah. there in 2019? Yeah, so pre, you know, BC, right? Yes. Um, was... It was really what value does it add to the cost of the care that we're delivering to the patient, really? And and it's still the same thought, the same paradigm. How is it reducing cost? But I'm looking at cost in a different way. Prior to, I would look at cost of how much supply cost is there, how much is the device going to cost us, how long is it going to last? The cost, right? Now I'm looking at okay, how much is this going to cost me in labor? I never looked at that before. Now it's, I'm looking at how does this much is, does this free up labor? Does it cost more labor? Um, and then what does it do to the nurse's workflow? Um, in the past, I would look at that. I'd give it a look and say, okay, which one's got the better workflow? But now if it doesn't have good workflow, it's not going to get a look. Um, do, you, do you have any standard KPIs that you look at for those? Or is it just no, more like a feel? It's more of a feel um, and understanding if how many steps it's adding. We haven't come up with, I don't think we've got enough data in our databases to, to give us that specific timing, but you, you can tell. And then the, the other metric, if you will, is you take it and give it to a couple of nurses and let them play with it a little bit and you get real quick. Um, no, this is going to, this is, I'm going to have to do this, this, and this. And whereas now I'll just do these two things and that's going to have five steps. Right. So one of the value things that we look at too in value analysis is, is it improving actually the outcome mm -hmm. for the patient? 
And right. does it does it improve some sort of what I call denominator, you know, like length of stay or any of those sorts of things? So can you discharge them earlier? Do they not have those readmissions and those sorts of things? So do you look at that as well? We do. And and but I think the focus right now, to your point, we do. But the focus is really on how much labor is it going to cost us? Um, and even if you get them out the door earlier, th th then you're looking at, okay, was did it reduce cost of care overall? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hey, yeah, we still look at that. For, for our audience, because uh, we mentioned the cost of labor, um, but our, our listeners tend to be medical device executives. Can you talk a little bit about in the P&L for a hospital system, what percentage of that is labor, specifically nursing labor? Is that 2%, 20%, 50%? It, um, I don't know the exact number. I can tell you what I get told all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Too high is the answer. Yeah. 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 You're 60% of our cost. That's right. Um, yeah. That's what I get yelled at. Yelled, that's a relative term, but 60% yeah. of the cost. So between 50 and 60%. And I think the real number when I've really drilled down and talked to some people is something like 52 to 53% of the cost. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, and I asked that because I think that it brings up a um, just sort of a good point for people to think about, which is, you know, we're looking at um, people who listen to our, our show are trying to innovate, trying to do things differently. Uh, and, and one of the things that is a mandate inside healthcare is the fact that it's about reducing cost, right? It's, I don't know, you guys, do you guys remember a couple of years ago, there's a guy who ran for uh, like mayor of New York City, and his whole platform was rent is too damn high. And it, I think, do you guys remember this guy? He wore gloves all the time. Anyway, he's 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 worth he's worth checking out. Get, go hop on YouTube. Um, but but his point was, it's too expensive to live in New York City. And I think bringing that parallel over here to healthcare, it's too expensive to run a hospital system. And what I'm hearing from you, Lewis, and I think what our listeners should really hone in on is if there's a way to have technology reduce the cost of care, that is very welcome from executives like yourself and others, right? That's great. But you got to make the story. You have mm -hmm. to be able to tie things together, mm -hmm. and not just, hey, we theoretically save 15 minutes of OR time, but rather we can really point to this is the value that we're creating. So, Yeah. And the so as you were talking, it brought it to mind the ways to do that, but it also reminded me, one of the things when we get into these brainstorming sessions and, and the ways we look at what we're changing mm -hmm. is how does, there's a bucket called technology. How's it going to help us, right? Mm -hmm. um, what doesn't help us is when you get a technology that's given to you and the manufacturer or the provider of that technology hasn't leaned the process before they give it to you, right? Mm -hmm. If you yep. look at healthcare, gosh, go back to the, the, um, CHF uh, demonstration projects, if you remember those, the AMI demonstration projects. When we started in healthcare looking at those, we all started learning about Lean and Six Sigma and we're doing all that, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if we get a product from somebody and they add it into our process, we're looking at Lean and Six Sigma and wondering, why, what were they thinking? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're giving us a product that's causing us to do this now. Yeah. So if they would do that ahead of time in their product development, that might be a sales point as well. We've already looked at your uh, patient flow, or we've already looked at how you care for patients in these specific situations, and we've compared those to national standards, and we've leaned the process. So we're not only selling you a product, here's process to go with it, mm -hmm. and it may save you time. Right. Yeah. 
We've been talking a lot and we've mentioned a few times on first our webinars, now our podcast. They have to focus on human factors engineering. They mm -hmm. have to actually take things when they say, well, we, we put together a focus group. Well, you know, we always would ask, who was your focus group? Because this isn't making sense, you know? So they might've asked, you know, their next door neighbor or their wife at dinner or something, who knows? Right. But they have to have a human factors engineering component. And they look at it on the med tech side. Well, I got that's extra time adding to my marketing and, you know, go to market strategy and all this stuff. But it's worth it in the long run if we're going to get after the things that really matter in your world. Yeah. So Lewis, um if a company's gone through all this, right, they've got a good story. It's, it's something that touches uh, patient care in a, in a broad sense that might fall into your area. How do you like to get approached? Do you like to get an email? Do you like somebody to pick up the phone and call you? Do you like them to wait for you in the cafeteria when you come through for lunch? <laughs> well, yeah. what's, how do how they get that in front of you? I try to avoid, I think <laughs> I said this last time, I try to avoid all of the sales folks. So, um, it, it get it, when it gets my attention. What gets my attention is if somebody from Supply Services says, "Hey, Lewis, they've been after us about this. They've pitched it to su the supply people, and the supply people say, hey, this might be value.' Then it gets my attention because I know I've got somebody in the organization that's bringing it in, and it wasn't just me getting caught on a whim, you know, you know, or somebody being in the building that should, um, those type of things. So that, that's what I kind of worry about, and probably um, am overzealous about that. But I feel better when I know that the the supply chain folks have done that and have done it. And uh, you know, the I don't know if you all know the blood devices that have been helping to reduce blood culture contamination. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those two products, there's two of them. I, I don't know yeah. their names, but um, th they did a really good job, each of them, of vetting their products prior to coming to and working through solutions with people. Mm -hmm. um, those are a couple of good examples of, of things that got my attention. One of them wasn't Theranos, right? Just <laughs> no. Okay, just confirming. Okay, <laughs> no. Because those devices are not inexpensive, but mm. you can do a good return on investment because having been on the microbiology receiving side of blood cultures, and having to write contaminated or you know two or three organisms and things, when you go through all that and you're not treating correctly or whatever then it really affects that. So mm -hmm. it's a good exercise to go through. So glad yeah, and, the, and the selling point when, when it got to me um, and was working with it, people started pushing back on me because I wanted it. I thought it was helping. Um, the cost savings to me was I don't have to retrain and re-educate everybody. Right. Every time I hire somebody, mm -hmm. it's one deal. You do it and you follow it and, and it works. But if you have to retrain people consistently, you're eating up mm -hmm. cost. Right. So is, is that training dynamic way much more heavily today? Than, it does. Okay. Yeah, the more intuitive something can be, and the and back to what um, Barbara was saying, human factors. If it's not intuitive, and there's a there's several steps for mistakes to happen, it's going to cost us more. Can you maybe, Louis? Do you mind walking us through? I mean, you mentioned this blood culturing uh, uh, to products. You could, it could be that, it could be something else, but can you walk us through an example of some time recently that you've adopted a new technology, what that was like, what the process was, that sort of thing? Yeah, the, the most recent one has been that blood product. Um, it, 
we started off with one and then another vendor um, found out we had it and they, they wanted to compare and the quality department got involved. Um, but when dealing with the vendors, um, the, the first vendor, the first thing that I got from them, I'd seen them at a magnet conference. So I was familiar with the, with the product, but I hadn't read, read any of the literature or anything. So when the, when the supply folks brought it to me, because the ED had gotten in, engaged in, in looking at it, when they brought it to me, I looked at a, um, a PDF that had been emailed to me and some research that they had done. And they had, they had worked with several larger hospitals and they actually had some pretty good numbers. So I called one of the hospitals um, and asked a couple of questions and they liked it. And they, they said they were pretty good to work with. So I, I turned it back over to the directors and said, hey, let's, let's look at this. Let's see what's going on. Um, it looks like it might work. And it looks like, I, I can't remember, it was Northeast is the, where the hospitals were. And it seemed to be something that was catching on. And then as we did it, the first, uh, the, the real thing that kind of hooked me was not only did um, we start to see improvement and we were tracking it, but they had us send the data we were using to them and they were tracking it. And then they sent us back our data in different slices in ways we hadn't looked at it before. I was like, this is nice because now we got two perspectives yeah. uh, and, and them tracking the data to go along with us helped tremendously. And then upfront cost, um, they they provided the, the supplies at no cost because they were so confident that we 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 sign off on it and purchase it. So they but they limited that to I think it was 45 days, something like that. But that's kind of the experience that we had. And and it sounds like they had a really good sense of what was gonna what what types of Sorry if I use marketing speak, but what type of value propositions, what type of, you know, product uh, features and benefits would be useful to you as a nursing officer, chief nursing officer versus mm-hmm. someone else in a different part of the department? Is that is that accurate? Yes, it is. They they knew exactly what the costs were going to be. They knew exactly what um, what the nursing issues were going to be ahead of time. Yeah. So just just out of curiosity, did that also cut down on? say phlebotomists having to be called and come and do these procedures and things where some of your folks then could just do them because it was easier to follow and got good results? Yes, it did. The, the phlebotomists didn't have to come. Th- we started in the ER and it was a text in the ER that drew the blood. Mm-hmm. Um, if we let the nurses and everybody do it, it was creating some problems, but we focused on just the text and it mm-hmm. solved the whole issue. Great. So I, I know the both of those two companies very familiar, uh, very intimately, and, and it's great cultures and, and very highly intelligent. They do a great job. I guess outside when they first spoke with you, because obviously they caught your attention with some information that was presented to you, mm-hmm. and clearly that made the process easier. But when they actually spoke with you and you actually engaged with them directly for the first time, what was it that, because it's one thing to see and read some information, and sometimes there can be a big discrepancy in the follow-up, what was it? What were some of the things that they said to you that really caught your attention? There, there really wasn't anything in the the face-to-face meeting that that kind of sparked anything because I'd already read through the the literature. Um, it was just, I, I guess, I better take that back. When the person I met with started going down the literature without it in front of him and talking about what he expected, that he knew his stuff and he knew what was going on. And when I I asked a couple of questions just to check and he was spot on with what he was talking about and he and he uh, presented himself as somebody I could trust that would just help help us to be successful. 
you've got an audience. I know we're getting close to to the end of our time together. Um, this has been fantastic, by the way. I think I can say that on behalf of all of uh, all of us who've been just hammering you with questions. Um, if you've got an audience of leaders, sales, marketing, uh, CEO level folks at medical device companies um, across the country and in many cases across the world, what kind of advice would you share with them to help uh, so that they can be more aligned with providing value to you with their products or services or capabilities? What, what would you like for them to know that they, you don't think that they do right now? So I think what, a lot of times I get the the bottom line of here's what we can do. Here's the results you can get. Mm-hmm. But the, the questions and the, uh, the questions and the alarms and flags that go off are what's the research saying? You know, mm-hmm. what, what's the evidence saying? And is it, is it non-biased, right? Did you do the research yourself and this is something you're giving me, or did mm-hmm. you go out there and try to do a little work and get some other organizations like, like the, the blood products we talked about, they worked with some of those hospitals to use their own data. Um, yeah. And the hospitals were there, they published that because I could call them. Yeah. That kind of, okay, we're, we're all on the same page. We're, we, we aren't hiding something, right? Or we're not twisting the numbers to, to reflect a different way. So um, understanding the bottom line is great. What, what you can do to reduce the cost of labor, the cost of supplies, the cost of the service itself, and then the research stuff or the research or the, validated outcomes in some way that um, is uh, non-biased, if you can. Yeah. Lewis, one of the things that came up with, uh, kind of continuing with uh, Scott's Scott's theme here is, one of the things that came up in in the last discussion um, that we had with you was around the idea of benchmarking. Yes. You had stressed uh, the the concept that if somebody's going to gain your attention, you want to see benchmarking data. Can you expound upon that? Is it sure. benchmarking universally? Is it benchmarking mm-hmm. about me? Tell, help us understand that. Yeah. So I, I was talking about it this time. I just didn't use the word. So the Northeast hospitals, mm-hmm. um, when I started looking at those Northeast hospitals, there were names I recognized, not only there, but from the advisory board and from Vizient and, and some other areas where they've been published. And you can see that, hey, if they're doing this, there's some cost somewhere that they're saving. I got to dig into this a little bit, but it's, it's those type of things. And then um, there's benchmarks from magnet organizations. So that database is the nursing database for quality indicators. And you'll hear nurses call it NDNQI. Mm-hmm. Um, that database um, and then any other databases around the American Hospital Association, those type of databases or state hospital associations. If you can benchmark your product and, or your services, your cost to those that are trusted, that's what I'm getting at. That gets your attention. So when I saw the, the hospitals in the Northeast that I can't remember their names, but that uh, I saw how they were benchmarked there and then I could actually pick up the phone and call somebody. That's, that's what did it. Mm-hmm. That's great. Anybody else have anything else to add to this? Because this has really been, I just find this a phenomenal discussion. And and from the perspective of, you know, we get asked from our clientele quite often is, you know, is there a magic bullet, right? Is Is there a magic buzzword? Is there something right now that you, a buzzword, a phrase, is there something that when you see it, your, your antenna immediately perks up? Is there anything that, that you would say to those people looking for a magic bullet? Not that it exists, but just something. Right. If they were, 
So if, if we're just saying, hey, find the sky, here's what you could possibly, if you could help us with engagement in some way. Um, so if, if the product, if the technological product um, makes the nurse's job that much easier, that they that you're removing a worry from them as they're do, as they're doing their job, that's going to get a lot of attention. If you're going to make the nurse's job a little bit easier, that's going to get their attention. And and Skender, I might add, you know, do your homework before you call Lewis up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. So yeah. with that, I I think we're at a good time to kind of just do a wrap up. Um, Lewis, what we usually do is just allow everybody an opportunity to kind of. Uh, say their piece uh, kind of in, in, in summary. And if it's okay with you, we'll give you the last word on that. Uh, sure. so we'll just go round robin. Um, uh, Barbara, we'll start with you. Sure. So what I gathered through all this, by the way, thank you, Lewis, because that helps gives us an insight into what's really happening today, you know, real time. And so I think it's important for any of those med tech folks at whatever level you are in your organization is, you need to know the organization that you're calling on. You need to know their pain points and things and how can you articulate what you do. And, and you might not be a best fit at every organization, but you're, the more you listen to the guests we bring on and things, the more you learn how to tell that story correctly. Yeah, great. Tom? Um, I Also, Lewis, thank you for uh, some tremendous insights today and appreciate that. And, and you know, just to build on, on Barbara's um, discussion, you know, innovation is, is always evolving, right? So uh, if you're bringing new technology to an organization, right, you might not get it in the first time, but pay attention, you know, and, and I think, Keep your head on the swivel is, is what Lewis is telling us and, and, you know, continue to immerse yourself in it. And it, it sounded like when, when Lewis was looking at this blood culture product, it took them three or four or five times of supply chain to then rise to the occasion to come to uh, an executive of Lewis's stature. So stay persistent and, and always listen to the feedback. Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I had a couple things. So one is this idea of defensible value propositions, right? So not only being able to say, hey, we can do this, but rather being able to say that and then show the data that when we did this over here at St. Somewhere, this is the results we saw. When we did it at St. Elsewhere, we saw this kind of result. So I think um, understanding your customers, understanding what's valuable to them uh, and and how to how to speak the language of a chief nursing officer someone else who has significant responsibilities and is being tasked with a lot of work. So that's number one. And then um, I was just going to circle back around because I think that it's um, a, a real thing, right? It's about labor costs, right? If we think about where health systems are today, uh, large, small, doesn't matter. You read anything related to um, hospital management and the name of the game is profitability. It's about operating margins and ultimately around labor costs. And the other thing that I would describe is, uh, or that I would kind of remind people is um, there's a ton of people retiring, right? We talked about this earlier in this, in this call. And so this idea of reducing labor cost is frankly, it's about helping leaders like Lewis and others to be able to manage the, the retirement of some senior folks. So this is a really valuable thing. And back to the, 
sort of kind of putting a fine point on it. Back to the the blood culture um, piece, that's not specifically directly tied to labor costs, right? It's a device for preventing having to redo a blood test. Um, And yet it has very significant value proposition benefits around this labor cost piece, around efficiency. And so I, you know, kudos to them, to those organizations. And and again, Lewis, to you and your, your team as well, to see the, how those technologies aligned with what your goal was, which is ultimately it's about labor cost reduction, um, better quality of care, that sort of thing. So yeah, defensible value propositions, particularly tied to labor costs, I think are the name of the game. And then just to kind of put a, a, a final word on it, I think just on behalf of everyone, Lewis, your insights have been really fantastic. So I want to say thank you for the time. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Lewis. I, I, I'll rehash that. Part of part of the thing that, that we always talk about when I'm talking to uh, and advising people is you have to sell to the person, not sell to, to just because you want to talk, right? And I feel like so many people try to do that and here you've shared so many things that are pertinent to you today in the AP time, not AD time, AP time yeah. uh, after pandemic. And, you know, it's being relevant and being being pertinent to the things that drive your current uh, um, challenges. Uh, the challenges that you had in 2019, are they still there? Yes, they probably are. Mm-hmm. But now so many more have just taken prioritization and the things that people were talking about in 2019 probably don't have the same relevancy that they do in 2023 if there isn't a spin to today's perspective. And that's the thing that I think everybody needs to take into account is just make sure that you are relevant to today and you are relevant to the person and the audience you are speaking with. So with that, Lewis, again, thank you so much. We're going to give you a chance to get the final word in here. I I just appreciate being here. Thank you all for having me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks again, everybody. Appreciate it. Milestone Moment 30 podcast. Great job, team. Uh, We look forward to the next 30. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Lewis. That is fascinating insight from your unique viewpoint. Following COVID, it is more important than ever to make a clear financial value proposition with a focus on reducing labor costs. Don't forget to check out the last episode with Crystal Wagner for a nurse manager's perspective on these topics. And always remember to hit subscribe so you'll never miss another episode of the MedTech Business Academy. Available wherever you get podcasts.